This is Alan Appel, and you are listening to This Day in New Haven History on WNHH 103.5 FM and streaming live at newhavenindependent.org, community radio in the Elm City. Thank you for joining me on this November 11th uh, here in the time travel machine, and I'm here with co-pilot Jason Bischoff-Wurzel of the wonderful New Haven Museum up on Whitney Avenue. Hi, Jason. Hi, Alan. So, Jason, November 11th is a very important day, and... um, uh, Tell us what year are you time-traveling us to because of November 11. So today we're doing kind of a special uh, episode um, because of today being November 11th, which is recognized as Veterans Day. And we're going back to uh, the initial armistice which happened in uh, on this day in 1918. The armistice ending World War One. Yes. And, and, and a Veterans Day called Armistice Day initially. Yes. Which was commemorated on November 11th, uh, 1919, one year after the end of World War One, and would go on to be known as Armistice Day uh, until uh, about the 1950s. Around 1945, it was uh, recognized as uh, rec- uh, recognizing all veterans, not so just not just World War One yes, vets, to basically en- encompass the the vets now of uh, World War Two. It took and, it took ten years till Eisenhower said okay. Yes, and so basically by 1954 it was officially recognized, and the name was changed to what is currently known known as Veterans Day rather than armistice. So Jason, instead of uh, just celebrating our vets, which is very important, you brought in some material that um, uh, in a sense uh, gives us an insight into what happened after the war was over immediately, the kind of unintended consequences of the, uh, of the, of the sacrifice and heroics that helped to end the war. Yes, yes, exactly. So we're going back to 1918 here and uh, this uh, information uh, comes from a book called uh, the Connecticut Connecticut History, essentially, and uh, this was uh, by a, a man named uh, Bingham and uh, Harold J. Bingham, uh, Ph.D. And uh, so this information goes to say that the armistice brought the cancellation of war contracts and a brief post-war industrial slump. It was reported that in Connecticut, the federal government canceled contracts totaling $55 million. In addition to the slackening of demand, an inadequate transportation, a limited credit, and the scarcity of available raw materials were believed to have been contributory to the dullness. The industrial centers of New Haven, Norwich, Bristol, New London, New Britain, and Bridgeport were hardest hit. And, and then he goes on to cite a couple of companies uh, who tried to make a transition between producing stuff for the war and um, uh, producing stuff for what, what would now be a peacetime market. Yes. And he cites the Winchester Company, which introduced a line of hardware and sporting novelties to uh, instead of making guns. Yeah, to basically kind of pad... Uh, to try to keep their their future strong because, um, yes, there was this conviction that the Depression, as I say, was genuine, and they were the industry went through a period of reconversion. So, yes, the Winchester Company introduced a line of hardware, sporting novelties. Uh, and you, they, and they thought that this would be a good idea because it was, you know, they were expanding their lines, but they needed a, t- a large amount of capital 
and then that ended up draining the operating funds of of the company, especially uh, in the case of Winchester here. And to 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 re uh, reconfigure what they were doing. Yeah. But you know, in, in the goes around comes around department, somebody I forget who it was pointed out to me all these wrought iron fences that you see in front of um, uh, mid nineteenth century buildings along uh, Orange Street, for example, and along Chapel. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fellow said to me that the reason why you suddenly have wrought iron fences, these thick iron fences, uh, some still extant there, is because the factories in New Haven were all geared up to make cannonballs. Yeah. Lo and behold, 1865 comes, Appomattox, the war is over. They retool the factories and they say, let's get out there and market uh, something that we can make. Right. So that had been a previous uh, time in the Civil War. So this was the same idea. This was applying that and trying to keep this success going because um, as we're getting at here, uh, the wartime market is basically a boon to the economy. And New Haven was was in a economic boom up to this very sudden, uh, you know, bittersweet essentially That's right. recession unintended here. consequences of peace right and here on the next page uh it, it where it, it it indicates that there was some success but not complete because it was estimated that by the end of 1920 14% of the workforce in Connecticut was idle that's a yes. lot of people. That's that's a lot. And it, yeah, they go on to say the immediate situation of employment increased, wages fell, and the cost of living reached a new high all over the state. And Milk had risen from eight cents a quart in nineteen fifteen to eighteen cents in nineteen twenty. Eighteen cents a quart. Yeah. Bring back those days. <laughs> but I, still that's that's over double the amount right. in only five years. And, the, and the, another thing that was happening is the war was over. Immigration was resumed yes. and swelled the labor supply. Yes, exactly. So that pushed wages down. And uh, in the two years immediately after the war, there were 280 strikes in the state of Connecticut. Now, that is fantastic. In two, in two years after the war, 280 strikes? Yes, and it said it resulted in a loss of 1,307,508 employee days. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we don't appreciate. That's a lot of social unrest. And that, and that, and that led to uh, people trying to figure out why, why so many young people who participate in these strikes, um, what can we do to make them feel m more part of... The, the country and to, to change it maybe peacefully and not go out on strike. Yes. Reformers. So they were going on here to say wages were maintained at no higher rate than procurement of laborers made necessary. So, yes, reformers now are looking at this. They're looking at the situation and it's kind of starting to look fairly dire. And there was also a concern in, in the back of their minds and really coming to the forefront here as part of the uh, kind of overall political climate and geopolitical climate here uh, resulting after World War I. And they believed it was morally wrong for the situation to continue unchanged. And since the manufacturers would not act, state action was proposed. Further, it was argued and widely feared that if the government did not act, 
the workers might take matters into their own hands. And everybody had their eye on Russia. Yes. Where there was a, a workers' revolution. Yes, the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917 had focused attention on the aliens in Connecticut, and the recruitment of soldiers had emphasized the numbers of unassimilated aliens in the Connecticut population. That's right. And so there is this uh, suspicion of immigrants and people speaking with Italian accents or Irish brogues. And it's so interesting that the Red Scare, which uh, was, you know, the uh, McCarthyism of of the early 20th century, starts immediately after Armistice Day. Yeah. Yeah. Effectively, right after the Bolsheviks took Russia, then here. These unsettled labor, labor conditions were related to the fear of communism, which spread over the state at the conclusion of World War I. During the Red Scare in 1919, R.P. Butler of the Consumers League warned that industrial and social legislation must balance economic pressures upon the in- individual if force and bloodshed were to be avoided. That's right. And so the, and the, the way the author concludes this is, is uh, uh, kind of looking high and low for how this situation unleashed by the peace might be um, addressed. And um, I think it concludes by saying... Uh, they actually were looking at the situation of schooling and um, conditions in which people were living. Um, could read that last paragraph uh, the, to meet the situation, because this, this is really phenomenal to me. Yes. To meet the situation, schools for the masses were urged by some who contended that radical agitators would have less success if an intelligent understanding of the history and purposes of the United States were transmitted to the citizenry. So better education, but what about the health situation of some of these people? Others pressed for attention to the state's health and underscored the excessive mortality among children by pointing out that 4,878 children under five died in Connecticut each year. That is amazing. It is. So really, this this progressive movement here was born out of, um, or, or advancing, rather, right after these uh, after World War One, And we had pushed ourselves forward te- uh, technologically, and now socially we were having to keep up with the circumstances here. And uh, really, just kind of a, uh, a sea change was happening here in, in New Haven in the state. Yeah, yeah. So interesting the way war does provide uh, all these new things technologically, but it also unleashes forces. And um, well, Jason, thank you for uh, bringing in this material uh, and and to look at um, um, uh, um, a sobering side of the uh, after effects of Armistice Day, now known as Veterans Day, on this day in New Haven history. Thank you and have a great weekend.